Hi everyone, welcome back to Final Film. We are back with part two of our top ten actors. Um, we are going to go straight into our number fives. Um, and Gemma, if you are ready, you're going to do your number five. Okie dokie. Uh, my number five's already been mentioned by Holly. Uh, my number five is Dev Patel. Yeah. Um, yeah. So first crossover. First crossover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think you said everything that I would have said in the, uh, you know, young British actor coming through in some great roles. Uh, the challenge of obviously being a, a young British actor that uh, is of colour and um, not necessarily of the um, the colour that makes the most fashionable kind of characters, e.g. being black. So being Asian, I think, is an extra layer of uh, of a barrier. Uh, to success but he's just really good you know when you see the the journey that he's made from something like skins I was never really into skins it just hit me at the wrong age I was in my mid-20s it just wasn't the genre that I you know would have been watching something like that um but to move from that you know kind of uh tv program teenage actor to then doing my, my favorite thing that he did was lion and i just thought he was so good in lion lion was just a film that absolutely broke me mm-hmm. um but also uh some dog millionaire i loved him in that wasn't massively a big fan of him in uh marigold hotel um just thought it was quite a, a two-dimensional character there um but i think lots to come Lots to come from him as he as he sort of grows up uh, and matures into being just a really good solid actor. So really, really pleased. I think he's one of the best British actors we've got at the moment. Um, I think he's really good. Um, and I've I've said it, you know, for pretty much since Slum Song Dog Slum Dog Millionaire that I think he's one of the best actors. But then when Lion came out, that really reaffirmed that for me. I thought he just did a, a great, a great job with that. So yeah, I think Holly said everything that needed to be said there, and I'm just reiterating it. I'm a really big uh, Dev Patel fan. Nice. We can um, start a club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my number five is someone who you know when you get that sort of. So I, I don't know. I, don't, I suppose it's a cliche where they go, "Oh, but they're so good at drama, but they're also so good at comedy." This person actually is uh, Steve Carell. Like Steve Carell can do no wrong. Well, he can do wrong because he's been in some trash. Like, Evan Almighty. Evan Almighty. Dinner for Schmucks. Okay, let's not mention Minions. Um, and this book will me. So now we're going to have to because I I put my finger up there to warn you. Okay, <laughs> uh, don't trash him as Gru. I I gave you a warning sign there, and you went there anyway. So now I we're going to go there. Remember, so listeners, I'm the edge lord when I'm on a podcast with someone who put Despicable Me as the tenth best film. Of all time. Yeah, a kid challenged me on that the other day. Uh, not the other day. At the last parents' evening, um, it was uh, one. Of, I think one of your film students. Um, yeah. And he he said, "Can I just check? Can I just check? <laughs> do you stand by that?" And I said, "I do stand by that," because as we're going to mention in another podcast about critical darlings and things like that, and everything that you're supposed to love and go, "Oh, it's just an amazing film. It's so good," and all those things that we're supposed to say about films. If you give me one of those critical darlings, 12 Years a Slave, or Despicable Me today and say, what do you want to watch? I'm going to put Despicable Me on, right? So forget all the criteria, forget all the lovies and everything that people want to say. If something is just pure entertainment 
and really funny and I can really get into it and love it, then it stands there as one of my favourite films. This and I love Rue. So I think Rue's great. <laughs> no, do you know what? I will die on that hill, Oliver. I will die on that hill. <laughs> I am not saying it is one of the best films ever, ever, ever made. You literally, literally did! <laughs> no, I said it's one of my favourite films. No, I said it's one of my favourite films. Oh, For dear. me, it is one of my best films. Okay, but what what against what criteria? If it's something it's... that I love, then oh. it works. No, I'm going. I'm, I'm muting you all. <laughs> I mean, as, he's great as Gru. He's I, great as Gru. I didn't think I'd trigger so many people just by saying Steve Carell. Like it's just. No, you didn't say Steve Carell. That was fine. You 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 oh. rushed him in in uh, in his role as Gru. He wasn't even in Minions anyway. Oh, I, I do apologize. Was he, I think he was in Minions because Gru was in He's in the in second Minions. one because then he do the voice of young Gru in the second oh, one. Oh, maybe, yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I love him as Gru. So so don't be coming for, for oh, Minions. Don't be coming for He's Despicable also not Me. a problem with Minions oh. or, any, or Despicable Me. Like, he is fine. Like, let's, <laughs> let's have it right. Okay, we're going to do a separate podcast on <laughs> what is the problem with Despicable Me then. That's the podcast. Let me talk about what the good stuff. What is your problem with Despicable Me? I love minions. End of. <laughs> so, um, clearly had this big break in 40-year-old virgin, you know, uh, which is just brilliant as it is. And then, strangely sort of taking a bit of a risk and going doing something like Little Miss Sunshine, where he's mm. trying to get his comedy career off the ground, but then he goes and does something like that. Um, but then, just to sort of throw these out, obviously Anchorman, like him as Brick in Anchorman is just hilarious. Um, oh. Like, I love Lamp. You know, loud noise and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Do you um, really love the lamp? <laughs> um, things that if you've oh. not seen, I highly recommend that you go and see. So I already mentioned Way Way Back, um, which is obviously now in the sort of Sam Rockwell and Steve Carell and Tony Collette pantheon of things that we all need to go and watch. <laughs> um, Crazy Stupid Love. Now, Crazy Stupid Love is one of those films that I think has fallen under the radar, but in there, towards the end, there is about a solid 45 minutes, half an hour, where all of these stories, all these people that you've seen for about the past an hour and a half, all intertwine. And you'd never expect it to go that way, but it, it's one of the best endings to a film I've ever seen. Like, as soon as, and not to sort of give any spoilers, as soon as Steve Carell sees Ryan Gosling, you're like, oh no, what's happened? <laughs> and then, there you go. And... Um, TV series that he's in, things like The Patient, which was on Disney Plus with Donald Gleason, really mm. good turn in that. The Morning Show that's on Apple TV Plus, where he, pay, he plays this sort of, um, I wouldn't even say disgruntled, basically, Mitch Kessler um, is done up in the Me Too movement. You know, people are coming out saying that he was a bit flirty, he was a bit this, he was a bit that, he was a bit, you know, hands-on and all that kind of stuff. And his character takes a really big turn. Um, but then in terms of the sort of pinnacle of his dramatic work, turn to something like Foxcatcher, where it's completely, like, he's left field. Yeah, and he's so creepy and he's so sort of like, you don't know where he's going to go and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think Steve Carell, again, being one of those people were, especially me and Amy, if we were like, the only reason why we watched The Patient was because it was a Steve Carell series. And we were like, right, well, we'll stick that on because we both like him, you know. And that's exactly why he's number five on my list. Um, so, yeah, there you go, Steve Carell. I've mentioned in The Office as well because that just showcases everything in Kingdom. I haven't seen much of The American Office. 
in that it is I've worth seen, it. I've, yeah, I've seen the odd episode. It really um, is worth I it. I really like the parkour episode. Like that just yeah, creases me. Um, but I've I've been seeing over summer there's a woman who's usually in the gym the same time I as I am, and she's got it right. I always listen to my music. She takes a phone and she props it up on the treadmill and she watches episodes of The Office and she's just running, pissing herself. So I think I'm just gonna do that. <laughs> not like not literally, you know. We're not getting mops out. It's fine. Mm. But, yeah. <laughs> um, Holly, your number five. Um, uh, my number five was a late addition to the list because I completely forgot about him because he's usually in ensembles. And then I remembered, oh, that counts as well. Um, Michael Palin. Um, my, <laughs> absolute, yeah, my absolute favourite python. Um Life of Brian and the Holy Grail are two of my favorite films ever. And again, I've, I've said this already like five times, so I'm sorry, but I think people just sleep on comedic actors. And I think being good at comedy is an incredible skill that I would put maybe ahead of being a dramatic actor, quite honestly. Like when you were talking about Will Smith, I think the best stuff he's ever done is Fresh Prince. Cause I think that's pretty hard actually. Um, like great dramatic actor as well and that's the skill but I, I think being a comedic actor you can go from comedy to drama and people do that very successfully but so many dramatic actors absolutely stink when you give them some comedy to do um, so I think they're very very skilled people and very very intelligent people as well and um, Michael Palin in all of the tiny roles that he has he has the most roles of everyone in the cast in Life of Brian and in Holy Grail and they crack me up but then he goes on to one of my favorite films of all time Brazil and does <laughs> the the scariest kind of corporate nice guy bad guy that I think I've ever seen on screen. Um, the idea that him being, oh, but oh, I, I don't want to upset you, but oh, the rules, uh, it, it's the definition of lawful evil. Um, and he does that in a couple of films in a way that is really um, unsettling. Um, and I think that's a fantastic way for a comedic actor to use their skills to do something else. Um, I, I just think he's great. I just love Michael Palin. It's called Wonder his, for me. His, you know, travel shows are fun also. <laughs> his, book, his books are funny. Murdering adorable dogs in Fish Called Wonder. <laughs> and he's just yeah. getting progressively sad because he's like the biggest animal lover ever. <laughs> It's so mean spirited. Yeah. The um my my favorite of all of his little bit parts in any of the Python films is him as the guy with the clipboard sending people out to get crucified. He's just like, <laughs> hello, crucifixion. Oh, good. On the left, one cross each. <laughs> and he's like so excited when one of them says no, freedom. He's like, oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I just that role, like it's amazing, and he probably wrote it. So mm. yeah. um... I love him as is it the emperor who's like it just looks like the entire scene where he's saying like rude Roman names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like yeah. it just seems like he's coming up with them on the fly, and the actors are genuinely trying not to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> because... <laughs> and because... that's not good. 
<laughs> uh, it's the X Lapper for me. Money for an X Lapper? What do you mean you're an X Lapper? Well, I got better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, there was there was a joke. I, I remember seeing it in like a, it was like a documentary thing. They said that they, they had to cut a joke out because they couldn't quite figure it out. But they were going to do a thing where. Um, you saw Jesus and the disciples going for the Last Supper and they get to the restaurant and they go, oh, we can't do 13. You should have yeah. booked. We can do like an eight and a nine, but that's the best we're yeah. going to do for you. <laughs> we can't get you all on one table. <laughs> He's by um, far, like, we've talked a little bit about, like, actors outside of their roles as well. I think he's by far the most down-to-earth like funniest kind of nicest of the pythons just in real life as well and again that's middle-aged mum nurse like oh he's just a nice man he's a nice he man. just seems like a nice man don't me to him please oh God. i think if graham chapman had lived long enough we'd be thinking that about him as well <laughs> like, yeah. you know he was but, just yeah. oh god <laughs> oliver number five i'm going classic here people oh proper Shakespeare vibes, if you will, although massive in film and um is he in TV? Don't know. Ray Fines. Way, yeah. way more because I thought he was just one of those like again, I think I am erring towards chameleons because he can kind of do both from what I was talking about before. He can be unequivocally himself in a in a role. He can also be an absolute chameleon. Like that story about him on the set of Schindler's List and one of the survivors sees him in the get-up to look like, I'm going to butcher the name now, is it Amon Goethe? And he looks like this commandant of a concentration camp to the point where a survivor of that concentration camp just breaks down in hysterics. And I know it wasn't his or Steven Spielberg's intention to, you know give trauma PTSD style flashbacks to someone who survived something as horrific as the Holocaust. But it is a testament to his ability his acting ability in it. And you see the pictures of them side by side. You know he's got those facial expressions down and just how bored he seems in that film when he just, you know, he just wakes up. First thing he does, he puts on a he puts his vest on and his pants on, he gets his rifle, loads it up, and just casually shoots one of the prisoners off in the distance. Horrifying. I love him in oh god, what's it called? The menu. Mm -hmm. I watched the menu quite recently. He's unbelievable in the menu. Um the great. yeah, like yeah, as Voldemort as well. Voldemort. He just looks like he's having the time of his life. Um, he's a little hammy, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like Anthony Hopkins is incredibly hammy as um, Hannibal Lecter, but we love that. You know, he's just like just because he's overacting in that sense, he's being really over the top. That's that's fine. You kind of would expect him to be, even if his laugh is a little bit meme worthy. Harry Potter is dead. <laughs> like, yeah, it's funny. Um, and he can do, like, the heartfelt stuff really well as well. He can be, like, I love him in, um, like, I love that he was the only person that could be trusted to kind of take over from Judy Dench in the Bond films. Mm -hmm. Like, when you think, okay, we, you know, we're killing off Judy Dench's heir. Who are we trusting with this mantle for the next couple of films? And they show it at the end of Skyfall, and it's Ray Fiennes. And you're like, okay, yeah, we're in really yeah. good hands here. We're in really good hands. He's fantastic as the new M. Um... 
and yeah, all this, all the classical sort of like that theatre training you get. I've been seeing a bunch of clips of him doing like theatre stuff in the National Theatre recently, and it's just he's phenomenal. He can just turn his hand to whatever kind of acting job you need him to do. Do you need a do you need a horrifying villain, Rafe Shigai? Do you need a heartwarming paternal figure, Rafe Shigai? Like back in the day, do you need a slightly intense looking romantic lead, Rafe Shigai? Just turns his hand to basically anything. Very, very accomplished actor. Red Dragon. Oh God. Francis Dolahide. Yeah, yeah. Like horrific, you know. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, it's he's got some great source material to work with, but my God, he works with it. Yeah, like he really because like in that same film, I really don't like Edward Norton. Right. Okay. I think he's quite limp as Will Graham because Will Graham is meant to like. I really love what Hugh Dancy did with it. I love what mm-hmm. Will Peterson did with it in Manhunter as well. That intense. I know Holly hates the trope of oh, the detective is just like the villain, but like to be fair. In his defence, Hall, Will Graham was one of the first characters to ever do that. I just started watching Hannibal, the TV series, and stopped when it got to, oh, he's just oh, like but again, I stopped, like, halfway through season two. I'm like, oh. But, that, but he was one of the first characters to do that, because, like, that book came out in, like, the late 70s, early 80s or whatever, and that was a fairly fresh take. Totally fair. It's just a personal. I get you hating the trope. I personally love it. I do get you hating the trope, but yeah. Yeah, back on it. Ray Fiennes, unbelievable. Uh, Okay, my number four, the highest ranking woman on the list, um, Emily Blunt. Really? Yeah. Oh, what's what's, what's, what's your beef with Blunt? Not beef, it's just. I mean, I'm just, I genuinely am struggling to think of things. I've seen, I've seen her in Quiet Place, I guess. All oh, right, okay. So, Looper. Oh, oh yeah, she is good in Looper. Right. Girl on a Train. Girl on the Train. Sicario. Edge of Can Tomorrow. Can I marry her, please? Sicario. Sicario. Oh, uh, yeah, Sicario. Okay, Quiet yeah. Place, Quiet Place 2. Mary Poppins Returns. Ew. Oppenheimer. Oh, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> Absolutely right. tearing Jason Patrick a new like, one. Yeah, in that interrogation. Yeah, she, okay. She's just she's a fantastic actress, and again, she's one of these where like, if she popped up because she was in it, or a film popped up because she was in it, I probably we would give it a watch. Um, even things like Muppets, she has a really good turn in the Muppet movie. Yeah. Um, there's a film called Five Year Engagement, which has got her and Jason Segel in. I think that's a really good film. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow, like I mentioned with Tom Cruise. I really um, need to watch that. Everyone says it's amazing. I just think it was marketed it's, really badly. It's it really was marketed good. horrifically badly. It yeah. was such a good film. Yeah. Uh, but I think, again, Pinnacle, for me, uh, is Sicario. Sicario too. I don't know why I said Sicario too, but Sicario, like, her in Sicario is absolutely amazing performance. You mispronounced um, Devil Wears Prada, Adam. I've never seen it, so I didn't. <laughs> so... You know. I'm reliably informed by Georgia that she's very good in Devil Wears Prada. She probably so. is, because she's very good in everything, you know. Yeah. Um, because again, say what you will about Mary Poppins Returns, but nobody else could have done Mary Poppins. Nobody should have done Mary Poppins. Well <laughs> no, nobody else should have done Mary Poppins. You know, they did what they did. But yeah, no, she's let's she's bring Wim Manuel Miranda into it, shall we? Jesus. Shut your face. Never. Um no, she's incredible. Um Holly, number four. 
Um, again, we've spoken about this person to death in the Female Performances podcast. Don't need to speak about her again. Frances McDormand, wonderful, brilliant. Mm. Everything mm. she's saying. It, it's that Sam Rockwell thing again. I know they were together in three billboards, so that's why they're together in my head. But this just like empathy for the characters she's playing. You just believe that they are that person. Um, you understand their pain that they're going through or their joy or whatever it is. She can also do comedy in the Wes Anderson style thing. She's great in Coen Brothers things, whether they're screwball things or like film noir stuff. Um, she's just great. I will watch anything that Frances McDormand is in. She's never mm. been bad in anything that I've watched. Georgia approves. Yeah. Fargo. I, I is Fargo. That, she's that good at acting. She is that good at acting that in Fargo, people were convinced she was just genuinely pregnant at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I've, I've still see conflicting things. Some people saying, yeah, she was. Some people saying, no, she wasn't. Like, her her uh, relationship with Norm is the blueprint for hmm. a successful relationship, as far as I'm concerned. If you bring me fast food, I'm yours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, burn after reading. She's really good in. I've still not seen Nomadland. Yeah. Uh, but Three Billboards is just... Three it's it's all the thing. Yeah. I mean, we're going to get to this on another podcast, right? I love Three Billboards. Shame about what else the director did. Um, but yeah, we'll, do, we'll get to that on Critical Darland. Um... Oliver, number four. Um, we're hitting the nostalgia train again, people, because it is Mr. Mark Hamill. Mr. Was, Mark I was Hamill. waiting for Hamill to pop up somewhere in your list. I He kept on climbing. It was really weird. Like It does feel very weird having him above Ray Fiennes, because let's be real, Ray Fiennes is objectively a way better actor than Mark Hamill by every metric. <laughs> effectively but just this like and i'm happy i could happily admit this might just purely be nostalgia because he's played luke skywalker and he's done it so endearing and even the fact that he had his disagreement with ryan johnson on how it was going in the last jedi i don't agree with mark on that but at the same time mark was professional enough to just be like i am going to give this character that you have written my everything and weirdly that's my favorite performance of him as luke is in the last jedi um but it is just the voice work he's done again like clancy brown he's childhood i love heath ledger mark hamill is the joker yeah he just is no no one really comes close because mark hamill has done it all he's done that kind of child-friendly joker the silly joker, but he has gone dark when he when the assignment has asked for him to do it. In the Arkham games, in particular, he has gone dark. In like the Injustice games as well, in the Injustice storyline, he has gone dark. It's a real shame that The Killing Joke is as terrible, terrible a film as it is because Mark Hamill himself deserved better out of The Killing Joke. He really did. But Ozai in... Um, Avatar The Last Airbender, again. I never mentioned Clancy Brown was in that as well. Just a lot of very good voice actors in the Avatar TV show. But yeah, Mark Hamill is your main villain. He's got that villainous quality to his voice. And just, it's a lot more for his voice work than his like, on-screen stuff. I don't think he is the strongest screen actor, but 
it's hilarious when you see him like recording lines for the Joker and like how into it he's getting with his movements and stuff like that. It's unbelievable. So yeah, big mark. Nice. Uh, Gemma, number four. Uh, mine is uh, Robin Williams. I, I mean, I don't even know where to start. Uh, well, I'll I'll start at the beginning. So my first uh, kind of uh, watching of Robin Williams would have been more Mindy reruns. So when I was maybe <laughs> 10, 11, Channel 4 rerunning uh, more Mindy and just loving that, uh, that character of being an alien on Earth and his kind of perception of the odd quirks and things that we do. So then, you know, you've got those 80s films like Good Morning Vietnam and things like that, and then going into the 90s with things like Flubber, Jumanji, Mrs. Doubtfire. So Holly was talking earlier about moving between um, comedy and drama. And I think that Robin Williams has done that brilliantly, you know, with things like Dead Poet Society and then Jumanji and just, you know, being able to switch between, between that. But not only that, he can do that in the same film. So he can um, be in, uh, let's say, uh, uh, Good Morning Vietnam, where he's being all chaotic and uh, talking really quickly uh, and, and things like that when he's uh, on the radio, to then, um, you know, talking with the local people and the experience of the bomb and switching between that comedy and that um, that drama. Same in Mrs. Doubtfire, when you see that really good comedy performance, really zany, but then when you get to the end, when he's talking about losing the kids and the experience with the social worker and just seeing that that pain, uh, that pathos, you know, and it's just so, uh, so painful to see the, this this character that you've been laughing at the whole time, just the actual real pain behind it. Um, and then I suppose that's a reflection of the real life of him. Um, and then things like Goodwill Hunting uh, and things like that. I loved him in Hook. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you could talk all day about someone like uh, like Robin Williams, couldn't you? And just what an excellent, iconic performer uh, that he was. And just everything that he did, whether it was a serious role like Goodwill Hunting, uh, whether it was The Genie, whether it was Mrs. Doubtfire, even back to being Mork. Um, yeah, Robin Williams just, uh, yeah, there's no way he wouldn't have been very high on my list. Nice. Uh, Holly, number three. I'm going to get dragged for this, and I'm prepared for that. That's absolutely fine. Uh, Julie Andrews is my number three. Nah, put some respect on Julie's name, people. <laughs> Am I so, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you brought you brought up you brought up uh, Mary Poppins already, and that's the reason why she's on my list. I, I mean, I love all the schmaltzy stuff she's done. I love uh, thoroughly modern Millie. I love The Sound of Music. Um, I love Princess Diaries. I mean, I think should, they should have been on my crap I love list. Aquaman. Yeah, um, she's a giant then, Cthulhu monster in Aquaman. Well, I need, to, I need yes. to see that. I need to see that. But the the thing that, that makes her on the list for me is Mary Poppins. Because there's been like quite a lot of uh, chat online about the trailer for the new uh, like Wonka film, and how uh, Timothy Chalamet's performance is really like not right in the in the trailer, and people are kicking off about it. Um, and I've heard a lot of people say that the reason they don't like the look of his performance is because whimsy is a really difficult thing for actors to do. 
and Gene Wilder did it correctly in that to be whimsical, you also have to be a little bit dangerous. Like that Willy Wonka, you knew that he enjoyed watching those kids get hurt. Like, and I know that seems, sounds like a silly thing to say, but that no, was it important. Doesn't. Willy Wonka's a yeah. psychopath. Yeah. yeah, that was important for his character. Um, and I think it's the same a little bit with Mary Poppins. She's not a spoonful of sugar. She like scared me a bit. Like the version of her in the mirror genuinely scared me. Mm. But Mary Poppins on her own, like when I was a kid and I watched it, I didn't understand that she was trying to distance herself from the children so that there would be a transition back to their parents. I didn't understand that. I just thought she was like a bit cold. Mm. And the the scene where um, she kind of gaslights them about what's just happened with them flying on the ceiling. And she's like, no, that didn't happen. That like freaked me out. Um, and Julie Andrews sells those two sides of the character, this incredibly like uh, fun, uh, caring, strange, alien-like creature that is there to have fun with kids and fly around. And this kind of harsh like slightly dangerous person dangerous is the wrong word but just like unknowable like inscrutable character um and i no one else could have done that i think anyone else would have mucked that up she's absolutely perfect as that and then she goes you know and does the sound of music i don't know which one came first but the sound of music where she has to sell this insane amount of schmaltz and manages it because she is just a sincere person um and manages to ground a film that's got so much sugar in it could rot the teeth of every western nation that ever watched it um She's she, she's absolutely the queen. I remember there was a story about um, an amazing voice actress who did voiceovers for a lot of Hollywood musicals. Um, and she had a video of every film she'd worked on and she'd worked on Mary Poppins. And her friends came around and went, oh my God, did you do a voiceover for Julie Andrews? That's ruined my childhood. And she was like, no, I just did the geese when they go into the picture. But like Julie Andrews was the most amazing singer as well and did all her own singing in a in a time where a lot of Hollywood actors and actresses were were dubbed in their singing. Yeah. Um Oliver. Nice. Uh Oliver, number three. I remember there was one point because this is quite a difficult question, like, oh, your favourite actor. You know, when you put on the spot like that, like, oh, who's your favourite actor ever? And it is always quite difficult to be like, there's a and this was the guy I would always say, uh, Gary Oldman. Again, like, he's been in some schlock. He absolutely has. But you can never fault his performance in it. You can fault the script. You can fault the writing. You can fault his choice of casting. There's the one where they cast him as a little person. And then his brother is played by Peter Dinklage, you know, a genuine little person. It's he's it, he's lit. He's literally like walking around on his knees in some of the wow. shots. It's awful. It's so bad. But he kind of defines the idea of being a chameleon. Like the roles he has taken, he just absolutely disappears into them. 
He's great as Jim Gordon. He's unbelievable as Jim Gordon. I really like him as Sirius Black. Georgia disagrees with that. She, I think, and I get it. I think Sirius Black in her head was meant to be like almost stupendously attractive. Like it's almost like a Henry Cavill, but looking a bit disheveled kind of thing. Right. And so, yeah, and Sirius was a little bit old, but I, lo- I, I love his performance and how heartfelt he is with it. Norman Stansfield in Leon the Professional. He's just like, it's such an unhinged, terrifying performance. He's great in Darkest Hour as Winston yeah. Churchill. Um, I really liked his little cameo in Oppenheimer as well as the president. Um, and he's got some voice work behind him as well. He's done a lot in like uh, video games in particular. Very good with his accents. They're a little bit like, like especially his Russian ones, quite stereotypical, but... He sells it like Air Force One, great villain in Air Force One. Just any film and Dracula. I've just remembered Dracula. Like, I think the first time I saw Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, I, I didn't quite like it. I think I was a bit too young to get it. And like now, when I watch it, it's like he's fantastic in it. He's unbelievable as Dracula. And it's such an iconic role to try and take. And he's unbelievable as it. Um, absolute chameleon. You wouldn't recognize him from one film to the next, the way he just takes on a different accent, different mannerisms, different nuances. He's unbelievable. He is. He's very, very good. Um, Gemma, number three. Okay. I feel like I'm getting to the point now where I don't even have to explain it. I can just say <laughs> it and everyone would just go, yeah. So number three, Al Pacino. Moving yeah. on. <laughs> no, I'll explain myself. Um, so obviously, you know, roles like uh, Michael Corleone. I mean, it, you don't you don't even have to explain it. Uh, Scarface and things like that. Obviously, I think that that uh, almost narrowed the roles that he got and he played. So there wasn't a broad scope, um, but what he did, he did really well. Um, but then when you get things like Donnie Brasco where he's still doing the kind of uh, Italian-American gangster, but he's not, he's no Michael Corleone in that. He's hes actually quite pathetic. Uh, I don't know if any of you have seen it. I love that film, Donnie Brasco. I think it's brilliant. Um, but he plays a, a gangster called Lefty, who's just, he's not much of a big wig. He's really very uh, under the thumb of all of the, uh, the more powerful mob bosses. Um, and, you know, he ends up getting whacked, as they call it. But he's, he's just um, kind of, a bit pathetic in Donnie Brasco. Um, but I think really what uh, sells Al Pacino for me is what's happened sort of most recently with things like Hunters. Um, I don't know if you've watched Hunters. It's a Amazon Prime thing. Yes, honestly. Oh, yes. So uh, obviously Al Pacino, you know, a career being the um, Italian-American uh, kind of mob character. And then he goes into Hunters. And for a second, you're like, is that Al Pacino? Yeah. <laughs> because he's now playing an old Jewish guy and he is absolutely an elderly Jewish guy in that. Even though, actually, spoiler alert there. No, don't tell him. Okay, don't tell I, him. I can't. Yeah. All right, then. I'm not going to do it. Um, but as uh, on uh, as what he has to do as being the elderly Jewish guy in that with being, I think his name's Mayor Hoffman or something, um, he uh he isn't Al Pacino. 
in that where he you know he is Alpacino in so many different things you're looking at it and you question for a moment is that him is that him because he is so so believable as that elderly Jewish guy um and I think that really sort of nails it even though it's very very late in his career you know I love the uh the godfather I I really do like um kind of American uh, uh mob gangster films so yeah going from the godfather to to being um that sort of pathetic Donnie Brasco uh character um to then just what he's done in Hunters I think uh he's really good it's the Hunters thing for me where you actually forget that it's Al Pacino there because he's he's that believable in the character yeah nice. my go-to too you've got Heat and you've mm-hmm. got a powerhouse like because the the quote-unquote boring answers for the best ever actors are Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and the fact that he had both of them having a conversation in a diner, and it's one of the m- most tense exchanges ever, because you've got Al Pacino, who's the cop who you kind of hate, um, and you've got Robert De Niro as the murderous criminal who you kind of love. And that I know, again, Holly's, Holly's cliche again, oh, the hero and the villain is just so goddamn alike. But, I like um, heat, though. Yeah. But I like we've got heat. two actors that accomplished... It's just such a good scene. I just love as well that Al Pacino was just clearly off his mind on cocaine throughout that entire film. He's absolutely off his head on cocaine. Like, where he's there screaming at Hank Azaria, because she's got a big ass! Like, that look in his eye. The only other time you see that look is when Diego Maradona is staring down the camera. And he's also clearly off his mind on cocaine. But I love him in Devil's Advocate as well. I love him in Devil's Advocate. I love a good performance of the devil or Satan, and that might be my favourite. He's unbelievable in Devil's Advocate. Like, his big spiel at the end when he's talking to Keanu is unbelievable. Who are you carrying all those bricks for anyway? It's so good. Okay. Uh, My number three is Gemma's number four, Robin Williams. I see. Um... I was saying to Ollie and Holly before that I'm looking at my top three. I think my number one is solid. And then really three could have gone up, down, wherever, because I don't know if it's more of a nostalgic pick, but it's definitely more of an iconic role pick in that you've got Mrs. Doubtfire, you've got the genie, you've got Peter Pan in Hook, you know, Jumanji, Flubber. I'd even go as far as saying Jack. I know it didn't get the best reviews and all that kind of stuff. I actually quite liked it. Um, Goodwill Hunting, I think, is probably his best performance. Dead Poets Society, uh, Good Morning Vietnam. Lesser ones that not many people watch. The Christopher Nolan film Insomnia, which has got mm-hmm. he and Al Pacino in it. So if you've not seen that, that might be worth a look. He's um, better than Al Pacino in it as well. It's, it's a villain role for him. It's a very, very good villain role for Robin Williams. But then I'd say the peak of his villainy is one hour photo. Like, if you've not seen One Hour Photo and you want to see Robin Williams do a dramatic role, go and see that because, my God, that guy's a creeper. Like, it's... Seriously, just... watch it. And I think the reason why I wouldn't have put him higher, because, again, unequivocally, like, when you sort of say, who is your favourite actor? I think my number one was the first person who I wrote down. But Robin Williams was so close behind it. Um, There's so many other films of his that I haven't seen yet. So things like Birdcage, things like Awakenings, like I know that I want to get into these things. It's just the time, you know, I'm doing it. But I am gonna I'm gonna get there. Um yeah, so he's my number three. 
Uh, Ollie, number two. Okay. This is a weird one. I almost feel like I'm cheating a bit with this because it is quite a small sample size. And a lot of his stuff is schlock. It really is. But standout moments, it's one of those. A, I like him in everything. It's Whether or not I like the film is completely irrelevant. I love him in everything I have seen him in. And the heights of what he has done is genuinely some of the best stuff I've ever seen. I'm talking about Christoph Waltz. Okay. Christoph Waltz. I remember reading that Quentin Tarantino was genuinely like he wrote Hans Lander and he was talking about how he'd written this character and it was the best character he'd ever written. And I'm inclined to agree. He'd just written this best ever character that he'd ever done at that point. And he was worried he was going to have to scrap the film because Hans Lander was so integral to that film and he didn't think there was anyone out there who could play that role. Step in Christoph Waltz. From the second he walks in, he is one of the most terrifying villains ever. He is unbelievable as Hans Lander. To then follow that up with Dr. King Schultz in Django, completely different character, gives it all of its credibility and credence. Holly will agree with me that Spectre is an absolute dumpster fire. Absolute dumpster fire. He is unbelievable in it. I was so hyped to get him as a proper Blofeld. I, he does as well as he can do with what he is given, and he is still super menacing. He's like, And there's no one else they could have got. Why they had to try and play on that mystery... As soon as you cast, as soon as you cast Christoph Waltz in a modern Bond film, it's Blofeld. Everybody knew, but they decided they try and make it a mystery, or whatever. If they just gone with that and really allowed him to do something with it, it's unbelievable. And I'm aware that a lot of his other stuff is like Alita, not a great film. Uh, Water for Elephants, it, you know, it's all right. I it's probably one of the hot takes. It could have been in crap. I love. I quite I quite like the Tarzan film that he's in. With Alexander Skarsgård yeah. and Margot Robbie, I quite like that film. It's it's all right, and he's again a really good villain, and it brings it probably makes people a little bit more aware of the absolute monstrosity that is Belgium in the Congo in Africa in the eighteen hundreds. Like, oh my god, they were awful. But yeah, like everything I've seen him do. He's unbelievable. He's just so understated in every performance, but the power behind it is just—it almost feels like a snake that's just ready to get you. Suddenly, is the best description I can give for it. He just—he's—he owns the screen whenever he's on it. He's unbelievable. You went to like horrible bosses. He's yeah. great in horrible he's bosses too. Horrible bosses. He's, he's uh, really good. Um, yeah. Gemma, number two. Okay, this is a little unexpected, and he is mainly a TV actor, uh, but because he's done film, I'm allowed him. Um, <laughs> and um, it's Stephen Graham. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, he is somebody that's, you know, he's, he's never gone over to Hollywood and he's never done all of that. But when you actually see his performances, they are so, so good. Um, and I think that 
I, I don't know, I think Shane Meadows is a is a great writer, but I think that Stephen Graham has has absolutely helped with every bit of uh, of Shane Meadows' success. Obviously, I love This Is England and um, and Compo and that performance at the end of This Is England, the first one where he loses his temper and you can see him going when Milky sat there talking about Sunday dinners and whatever, and you can see him going, you know he's going to, you know he's going to snap and you can feel it. You're watching it and you're willing Milky to shut up because you can see him going and he plays that so well. It's so believable. But then I don't know if any of you have seen um, a TV uh, series that uh, it was a shame when it was called The Virtues. Did any of you see that? Right. Mm-hmm. You have to watch it because it's so good. It's uh, it's basically about a um, Liverpoolian that goes over to Ireland and um uh, uh, just basically faces his path, his past of uh, abuse, um, you know, sort of institutionalised by the kind of Catholic Church and things like that. He in that is absolutely he shakes you with with how good he is, because he shows a scene where he breaks. He does a scene where he just breaks down when it all just hits him what he's been through, uh, and you can see uh, honestly if the director had said we need to do that again. There's no way he could have done it. By the end of the scene, he's, he's, his nose is running with kind of snot. It's all over his face. Um, and you can just see that that's something that obviously you can't plan because you can't plan that body reaction. It's just happened because he's playing it so, so well. Uh, and you just feel every single bit of it. Um, and then, you know, he's done things like uh, Time. I thought he was good in Time, um, which was, again, another series. It was, uh, uh, he was a prison officer um, when he did the one about the pandemic called Care. He just plays everything so well. And he doesn't, um, he doesn't Hollywood it when he's doing his acting. He's not... Um, an overly dramatic, uh, putting on a Hollywood kind of uh, drama. He just does it exactly how a British person speaks and how a British person reacts. Maybe that's why, um, you know, he'll never make it big over the pond, um, but maybe that's, you know, the integrity that he's got. Um, but I think for me, my favourite is uh, him in The Virtues, which if you can get hold of, um, it was Channel 4, uh, is just incredible. He's so, so, so good in that. So, yeah, um, Stephen Graham, I just think he's absolutely iconic. Probably the best British actor that I can think of. Um, he's that. he's absolutely solid. I just think he's so good. He was almost at my number one. And um, I changed him and number one around so many different times. And I think the reason why I went with number one being there was because, like Oliver just said, there's a, a small pool of things to just grade uh, uh, Stephen Graham on uh, a smaller pool um, and a wider thing for number one but he was very very close to being my number one so yeah the virtues you have to see that that is really 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 good he's also funny do you remember him in Snatch yeah oh my god he's so he's, good in Snatch he's arguably the funniest character in Snatch him and Jason Statham in that yeah. Jason Statham's really funny in that film they yeah, it yeah. I mean I think they're gifted with a very good uh, script in Snatch. But, they, but their, their but they chemistry really together well. between so Turkish good. and Tommy. Yeah. What's wrong with, with it? Oh, nothing. It's tip top. It's just I'm not sure about the colour. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And throwing yeah. the milk, taking the milk off him, saying, I'm doing you a favour. And then he uh, he just causes carnage by chucking the milk on the windscreen. Why have you got yeah, a gun, he's, Tommy? He's got protection. Protection from what? The, the Germans. Germans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. He's so good in that, yeah. 
Uh, I really like him in the season of Line of Duty that he was in. I thought it was really good. Um, and then he was recently yeah, in totally. Matilda. He was in Matilda the Musical. Yeah, yeah he was in Matilda. Yeah. yeah, he was the dad. Yeah, he was great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right, my number two. Uh, my number two was always in my list and then finally landed at number two after I went to the cinema a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's Ryan Gosling because he's just Ken. You know, he is just Ken. Um, Can you feel the energy? When I yeah. when I came out of Barbie, I was like, "That's possibly the best thing he's ever done. That's possibly his best performance." Um, but I mean, if I go down some of the stuff, I'm not a fan of the Notebook. Like, I'll just get no. that out there now. I wasn't, you know. Um, but like I mentioned before, Crazy Stupid Love is great in Crazy Stupid Love, as you know, as this sort of like really smarmy really attractive guy who's telling other people what to do, thinks he's God's gift to women. Um, an underrated one, The Ides of March, where he plays um, like a campaign manager against George Clooney's senator. Um, again, maybe another underrated one, him and Bradley Cooper in The Place Beyond the Pines. One that doesn't really get a lot of love. Um, it's, a very, it's very much a film of two halves. Um, his Nicholas Winding Refn stuff in Drive, um, I even really like him in Only God Forgives, even though that is a rubbish film. Um, he is the best <laughs> thing about it. Um, the Nice Guys with the Russell Crowe. Nice the Nice Guys is so good, and he's so funny in it. Yeah. Um, I know that not many people like it, but him in La La Land really shows his range. Um, yeah, Blade, Blade Runner 2049. Yes. Like, you know, just absolutely. He can do so many different things. And again, it is he has a thing range, of, doesn't he? He, has he so really can range. be like similar to Ray. If you just give him a Ray's not as funny as he is. Oh, like when he does funny, he's so like Ken, um, nice guys. Um, and like again, Crazy Stupid Love. When he does it, he does it so well. And he's just, he's so good in everything that I've seen. And again, he's one of these people that. If a film was to come out tomorrow with him in, we'd probably go and see it. Um, but I really, really hope that he gets like some sort of nomination for Ken. Because Blue Butterfly. Have you seen that? Blue Butterfly. I think it's called Blue Butterfly. It's him and oh god, what's that? what was the name? Oh, of you the... mean uh, Valentine? Blue Valentine. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I've not seen that. To be fair, there's that... again similar to Robin Williams. There's a few that I know I need to catch up on. So Blue Valentine. Um, Half Nelson is another one that I know that I need to catch up on of his. Blue Valentine's Half like Larson, the real girl. Mm. Okay, I will add that to the list. That is like... brilliant. Right. Yeah. Blue, Blue Valentine's like a very naturalistically written script as well. The people yeah. actually talk like people, and he is unbelievable. Like, he, like there's two halves like kind of intercut in the film, and he plays the same person years apart. And my God, you wouldn't like. You wouldn't think it's just the same guy. It's unbelievable. And even um, it's really cheesy and it looks like a cartoon, even though it's not. But Gangster Squad, like really hammy gangster film <laughs> that's got like Emma Stone in it and stuff. That was I quite enjoyed that. <laughs> Have um, you seen the uh, viral video as well? As Ryan Gosling won't eat his cereal. No. So there's a guy. Oh, they're who, really funny. Yeah. Right. So he literally he like it's just different shots of Ryan Gosling in film. Yeah. And this guy keeps trying to feed him cereal, like on screen, and he reacts in a different way to like not eat the cereal every single time. And that no. guy, um, the guy who came up with the video, he died of cancer. And as a tribute to him, Ryan Gosling filmed just a short video of him giving a thumbs up and then eating his cereal no. as like a send off to him. It's just no. so to to quote uh, Holly's 
uh, as she said it, middle-aged, middle-aged mumsy vibe. He's also just a really nice guy. He's a nice dad. He's been yeah. with his wife for a long time. He really he's loves just his Ken. wife. He's a good fella. He's just Ken. He's a good egg. Yeah, he's a good egg. Do you remember him in Remember the Titans, where he just played this sort of really cute side character? No. No, he did, yeah. That was right. one of his like, really early roles. And that's yeah. my he's, like that. he's like Leo, isn't he? He's been doing it since he was a weird. Yeah, but he he's probably I don't know maybe late teens could be early twenties but he uh, he's one of the squad he's one of the um, obviously from the white school um, but he um, he he plays a really good role in that because he's one of the the first boys to kind of bridge the gap with the black team uh, and become friends with that and uh, and then step aside because he realizes he's not as good a footballer as his black counterpart who keeps getting. Um, uh, uh, sideline for for him, uh, so he's really good in Remember the Titans. But it's like years that was like twenty three years ago, I think. Remember the Titans was out, um, so he was obviously really young in it. Um, yeah. But yeah, he was really good in that as well. It was a small character, but he was great. One that isn't him acting, but I love watching the video of Greg Davies on the um, Graham Norton show, and like mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling is just absolutely creasing at the story yeah. that Greg Davies is telling. Um, <laughs> Holly number two. Um, my baby is waking up, but he's oh. not up yet, and he'll be happy in his cup for a little while. Can I do number two and then number one? Of course and you run can. Away and get Go it? for it. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, completely changed the organisation of your podcast around it's my fine. Thank you it's very much. Um, my uh, number two is one that I uh, spoke about in the Crap I Love podcast, and I said, he's my favourite actor of all time. And then when I made the list, I was like, actually, second favourite actor of all time. Um, Jonathan Price. Um, so Jonathan Price, um, I have loved since I watched Haunted Honeymoon as a small child when I shouldn't have watched it. Um, he's the bad guy in that and he's just so sleazy and awful. And um, but I have also spoken to Ollie about the first Bond film we ever watched, which is Tomorrow Never Dies. Tomorrow Never Dies. And so oh he's he's easily in the top tier of Bond villains and that is saying something I I think generally people don't really like him as a Bond villain but it was the first Bond film I saw and I think I saw it repeatedly before I watched all the yeah same so to me he's the quintessential Bond villain that and since then anytime I see anything connected with Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, or anything. He's just, that's the image I get in my head. Elliot Carver. Uh, Elliot Carver walking around on stage with his little... Computer. With his little tablet before yeah. tablet thing. <laughs> Talking about starting a war in the South China Sea. Um, <laughs> I, I, I I love him. And maybe it's a bit over the top of a performance. But I think mind. it's actually ahead of its time. Like, you yeah. can imagine someone doing that for the views right now. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but I he's... He's my absolute favourite actor of all time because of his role in Brazil, which I've already spoken about, is Michael Palin as a bad guy. Um, Brazil is like a little bit of a 1984-esque film. When they were making it, the working title was 1984 and a half. Um, So they were very aware of the, the references they were making in the film. But he's a kind of... Uh, put upon office worker um, strangely is also my number one uh, actor is uh, my favourite role of his is as a put upon office worker um, (laughs) 
might say something about how I feel about my job. Who knows? <laughs> um, but um, uh, in Brazil, he's just th this idea of him dr dreaming big. He's a loser, but he's dreaming big and he's trying to be a hero when he gets the opportunity to be, but he's not quite up to the task. <laughs> I really like that idea and he plays it so, so well. Um, and then he's just in loads and loads of stuff as a character actor um, in in TV, like in Game of Thrones as the Grand mm. High Sparrow. He's incredibly scary in that. Um, and the two popes, um, I want to see the wife. I haven't seen that yet, which he's in with Glenn Close. Um, mm. But yeah, there's something about Jonathan Price's performances that are just magnetic for me. Um, and particularly in Brazil and as a bad guy. I think I've already asked you this, Holly. Have you seen Glenn Gary Glenn Ross? Yes, I have seen mm. Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. How does um, he, like, I love Jonathan Price, but how does he hold his own in that cast? Well, my number one pick is Jack Lemon, who <laughs> is also in Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Upon office circuit. That was not planned, people. I had no that, idea. <laughs> I didn't pay Ollie for the segue. Um, yeah, my favorite film, which we spoke about in the Film Files podcast, is The Apartment. Um, and uh, Jack Lemon is the main character in The Apartment. He's also in Some Like It Hot, which is repeatedly voted the best comedy film ever made. Um, and Again, the, the theme of kind of comedy actors and the skill that they have comes through here because Jack Lemon can make me smile and then laugh and then cry in the same scene in the apartment. Just the the way he tries to hide his own feelings in order to um, help Shirley MacLaine's character. You can see him bottling it up in real time. And I just want to weep it's so so sad and then he starts joking around to try and make her laugh and you know he's dying inside and you can see it but you know that she can't see it because he's acting hiding it so well um there are layers there that i do not understand being able to convey um but it, 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 he's absolutely wonderful um and then he later on in life was in glengarry glen ross and plays an uh, 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 aging, uh, failing salesman. Um, and I never, ever thought that you could make a film about like timeshare salesmen and make me feel sorry for the salesman. Um, <laughs> but they managed to, in that film, the scene where um, Jack Lemon, who is like worried about losing his job they're all going to lose their jobs if they aren't top salesmen they're getting rid of basically the whole team and they've been given these really rubbish um uh uh leads oh, what's the leads thank you ollie <laughs> rubbish leads um that have already been phoned a million times and none of them are gonna buy a timeshare um so he's really worried he's gonna lose his house he's talking about his daughter going to college and he can't pay for it um, and then he sells them and he's recanting the story to Al Pacino 
who's the top salesman in the in the office and he's telling this story as if he's a soldier who's just come back from war and he's giving a blow by blow account of this amazing battle and they said this but I said this and then I did this and I got this out of my suitcase and I said this and Al Pacino's like hanging on every word like really like you're rooting for him you're like oh my god he like all of this has gone wrong for him. And then suddenly he like pulled it out of the bag. He got some of the old magic he had when he was a young man and he was doing well as a salesman. And then they hit you that these this couple have dementia and their check is going to bounce. Um, and just the absolute despair that he shows you in that moment um, kills me every time I watch it. I think he is uh, a very underrated a classic actor um, who's been in some amazing films, uh, particularly by Billy Wilder. Um, And yeah, I just, the opening scene of the apartment, when the music starts and you zoom in on him, I just want to cry every time I start watching it. He's wonderful. It's the best. Nice. Lovely. And now I'm going to go get my baby. Yes. Uh, right, number two, uh, Gemma. Oh, sorry, even number one, Gemma, number one. <laughs> uh, right, okay. I can only assume, in that he's not been mentioned yet, that he's everybody else's number one. Uh, you did this with <laughs> Goonies, and it didn't work. I did, I was just thinking that. So I just thought, as, you know, Goonies is obviously the best film in the 80s, and I was clearly correct there, that <laughs> uh, everybody else is wrong if they don't choose uh, choose my number one. Uh, yes, in the words of Oliver, I will die on this hill. Um, <laughs> it's Tom Hanks. Um, so I've gone with Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is, uh, we've sort of said this a few times about a few others. If I see that it's a Tom Hanks film, I'm going to see it. Uh, and that's uh, that's just the way it is. Now, I'm not saying that everything that he's ever made is good or that I've enjoyed. Even some stuff that's been more recent. I really didn't like News of the World. Um, I actually thought that was um, probably one of my least favourite things he's ever done. But going right back to the 80s where you're looking at things like Splash and um, Turner and Hooch and um, uh, Big, The Birds. Dragnet. Yeah, okay. Um, (laughs) Big is... Big is one of my favourite films of the 80s. It's one of my favourite films. Um, so, yeah, I love I love his really early kind of uh, comedy stuff like that. Um, performances like Philadelphia, you know, are, are just... Yeah. Oh, I've just been upstaged. <laughs> Bebe. It's Jamie. Hello, Bebe. <laughs> Hollis Bebe. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Are we going to have to cut and do that again? Or should I just... <laughs> no, just keep going. Just keep going. We don't edit okay. this thing anymore. Uh, there we go. For those of you listening, uh, basically a baby's just come on the screen uh, and uh, it's actually a very cute one. Um, so yeah, things like Philadelphia and then Forrest Gump um, and then followed by things that then aren't so good like Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail. It's kind of like up and down, up and down, up and down. And then after that, you've then got things like Saving Private Ryan, those kind of late 90s films, Saving Private Ryan, um, The Green Mile which, as I've said, is my favourite film. It, he is just so good in things like that. Um, I really like Castaway. I love Castaway. I love, uh, obviously, what he even had to do to his body, losing the weight and things like that in Castaway. Um, and then you've got another dip with things like The Terminal, which, 
you know, is not. I like the terminal. It's all right. Oh, God. No, no, it's all right. But what you're doing is that's coming after the green mile. Mm. So when you've just done the green mile and you've done save it prime and right, and then you do the terminal, like to another actor, it's pretty good. But he's just done the green mile. So, you know, and he was he was that good in that. Um, and then um, I as soon as I read the Dan Brown books, I thought this is going to be made into a film and Tom Hanks is going to be Robert Langdon. And he absolutely was because he is just absolutely uh, Robert Langdon. Um, was not a big fan of Larry Crown, even though people kind of raved about that film. I, I wasn't um, that into it. Didn't really like Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. I wasn't a big fan of that one. Um, but then Captain Phillips. Oh, my God. Incredible. Mm. So there's that scene in Captain Phillips where um, when he's rescued, when he gets mm. off and the nurse is trying to talk to him. And there's this shock. shock. It's, it's just yeah. shock. Uh, and, and it's almost, you can feel him saying, I can't believe I've just done that. I can't believe I'm okay. I can't believe it's over. I can't believe what just, you can see it in him, just this shock. And he plays that shock so well by saying nothing at all. Yeah. Now that's mm -hmm. a good actor because he's not actually saying anything. Mm -hmm. It's just a look on his face and him trying to respond to the medic that's talking to him. Um, I like Sully. I think Sully was good. Um, and then most sort of recently, uh, I really liked um, Finch. Uh, we really liked that with the uh, with the robot, and um, then it floored me. It absolutely floored me. Uh, a man called Otto. Uh, I've heard good to. stuff, but I've not seen it yet. Oh my gosh! Just make sure that you take your big boy pants because you, you are mm. going to cry. You are going to cry. I challenge anybody to not cry. You know, all the way through it, you go, "I know where this is going, and this is going to floor me at the end." And then it happens. You know, it is going to happen. And it floors you. Okay. It's really good. He's got his son in it, and his son plays the younger one. Yeah. Uh, not Chet. Not Chet. Oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw something, because he's got a son called Colin as well, hasn't he? And he's yeah. got a son called Chet. Isn't and Colin like his nephew? No, Colin's his son. No, he's got three sons. Yeah. One of my favourite memes is that idea that if you name your son Colin, that was exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> so you've got them next to each other, and it says, "When you call them a Colin, you get a Colin. When you call them a Chet, you get a Chet." And you can see the differences between Colin and Chet, absolutely. But there is a third, and he can't remember his name, but he plays the young uh, Tom Hanks in A Man Called Otto, and uh, and and that's a that's a great film. So um, yeah, for me, it's uh, Tom Hanks. I know. There's been a few dips, but when you've got things like Saving Private Ryan, um, The Green Mile, even we things like Big Story. I was going to say, are we mentioning Toy Story? <laughs> what did you say? I didn't. Hear are we mentioning Toy Story? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, Toy Story is great, isn't it? I, I mean, obviously, I haven't said that because you know you don't see him in it, but yeah, he plays a great one. He doesn't. He? He's really good. Uh, yeah, I I just love him. I think he's I think he's absolutely top notch. I, I, yeah, I should have had him in at least honourable mentions. To be fair, because he's one. Of, he's he's almost a boring answer as well. Tom, you know, like Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. He's just they're that universally loved. You almost don't think of them when you're thinking of a list like this, which is dumb because he's fan. Like like you said, the dichotomy in his career of these like rom coms, silly comedies in the eighties, and then. He's in Saving Private Ryan, one of the biggest films of all time. 
Like, it's just such a weird, t- but he does it every. Like he's never, he's never put a foot wrong. No. Like even in something as weird as Cloud Atlas, which is just is very out there. He's he does a lot of good stuff in it. Like yeah, like it was. It was definitely someone who was in my longer list, and I was sort of looking around. No, I know, I know, I know. But I think I ultimately looked at it as, like, favourite actors, in that, like, you are right in that he is, like, probably the best, if not one of the best. Uh, hang on a second. Hang on a second. We're not allowed to pick favourites over oh. best. <coughs> Despicable me, remember? I never said oh, that. no, no. Oh, I no, never I said think- that. We're not allowed to do that. We're not allowed to go, I just think it's really good. No. We have to go with critically acclaimed, remember? Yeah, but to be fair, oh, yeah. to be fair me. Yeah. we've we've done favourites who are also good. <laughs> you did no. a track favourite. All <laughs> right, we'll go back to the despicable me. I've never... You have just gone back on what you told me off. You said, I know he's absolutely brilliant, but he's not a favourite. <laughs> I, you, I, I said, didn't tell you, you off. Blame them you too. This wasn't me. You've made a U-turn. <laughs> this is the way we stir the pot. Favourites. Favourites is what it's about. Nobody's interested in what we all agree is apparently the most, you know. Right, good. Yeah, so yeah. Gemma's... Me is number 10 on yeah. my best films of all time. Favourites. So, 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 it's a fair cop, Gemma. It's a fair cop. Like, guys. how boring would it be if Apologies. we did it based off, crit- off, you know, the, the sort of critical rule in that if we did females, everyone would be talking about Mel Streep at number one. Like, it's just. I genuinely wouldn't. Well, no, but I mean, <laughs> off accolade and things like that, it would have to be Meryl Streep. So that's why we do favourites instead. Um, oh, yeah, I get the feeling that your number one is somebody who's already come up. How did you guess? How did I guess? So you, was you it, go first. Was it my terrible poker face? Was yeah, it you go first and I'll do mine. Was it, was it the fact that there was one actor who was mentioned a couple of times and it's the one time I decided to not chime in with an opinion and try and add to it? Like... It just hit me right in this because originally he wasn't even on the list, and then I just thought of his name, and it's like Robin Williams. Robin Williams, he's number one. Like, name me a person with more range, really. He's he's like Holly correctly talks about the Jack Lemon makes you laugh, makes you cry, makes you angry, makes you sad, makes you feel any given emotion that you need to feel. And Robin Williams has done it. Every single one of those, to the nth degree. Sometimes in the same film, he does it all as the genie. The genie still remains one of those like all-time great performances in a film. He's absolutely unbelievable. Yes, you can have an argument as to whether that started, oh, we're casting celebrities as um, voice roles instead of getting voice actors, but you've got to hand it. He was perfect for it, and for a while, Disney were able to be like, "Yeah, they're famous in their own right, but they are right." Like Jeremy Irons was famous in his own right; he was still perfect for Scar. And Robin Williams again started that trend of the animation looking a lot better because they're starting to map the actions of the character from how the actor is doing it he completely changed the landscape of animated film because now they feel the need to do that to make it that more naturalistic. Mrs. Doubtfire, not one of my favourite Robin Williams performances, but it is just a cracking film. It's unbelievable. It's very funny, and you get the whole gambit. Goodwill Hunting, oh, my God, Sean Maguire. I can, I can literally watch that 
com- say conversation, that speech on a park bench again and again. You're just a dumb kid. You don't know what you're talking about. I, get, I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. Like, I have no idea if Robin Williams has actually been to the Sistine Chapel. I believe he has been just off the back of that. I know for a fact he hasn't been to war and held his dying friend. I believe he has off of the back of that. Just everything. And, like, we, I've got that benefit of, um, like, having seen insomnia on one hour photo and knowing exactly how much he can push himself when asked to if he can play a genuinely menacing character like silas i forget the name of the guy in insomnia as well Mm. um but it's just like anything he has ever put his hand to he has excelled in yes he's been in some absolute schlock he's been in some genuinely terrible films um but you can, everything he's been in, he has at least one moment where he just tugs at you. Like, Flubber is not a great film. And I know you love it, Adam, but you you literally put it in crappy love. So crap I'm I to, love. I know yeah, it's crap. So I'm allowed yeah. to call it a bad film. Because I loved it, because I, I, I got it at the right age. Yeah. You know, when, when the McDonald's toys were coming out. And so, I mean, it's there, like, crying over Weebo. Yeah. That scene is not okay. You, you stop it, Robin Williams. Like, this, it's not okay. He makes me feel sad that a robot has died. Yeah. <laughs> you do that. Yeah, unequivocally. Like, I can tell you you can do that. Tom Hanks can do that. When Wilson floats away. Oh, I will man. give you that. Tom Hanks does There you go. That's a volleyball. That's a volleyball. And that when he floats away, you're like, hair. oh, my God, Wilson. <laughs> Like I said, like like I said, Tom Hanks should be in here for me because he's not even like he's not one of my favorites either. I think, like I said, it's almost a boring answer in that it kind of goes without saying, and therefore it's so easy to overlook him, which I know is stupid because the whole point is we should be talking about it. But and one thing I will say, like if you're asking me to compare Tom Hanks to Robin Williams, which I know isn't what we're looking to do here. Tom Hanks has never done like the menacing thing. I'm not saying he can't, but you've never seen him do the menacing thing. Robin Williams, and maybe like, have you seen Insomnia or One Hour Photo, Gemma? Honestly, watch what, at least one of them. Hasn't Tom Hanks got a thing about not doing violent films? Don't have to be violent though. I just seems to be a villain. You know what I mean? Like, if he was a villain, mm. like, closest he's done is maybe like. The he was in Road to Perdition, which he uh, apparently was very, and that wasn't one of his best, but he was very um, uh, on the fence about doing it because of the amount of violence in the film, but his character wasn't a violent person in it. But apparently he's got a real thing about not doing violent films, that, but then saving Private Ryan. Um, yeah. you know, the most violent uh, opening of the film yeah but then he's <laughs> not a violent character in it so yeah mm. but apparently he won't do uh, films where there's like gratuitous or, or needless uh, violence in it but then yeah you could be menacing without that I suppose yeah because one hour photo isn't a particularly violent film no. really there's some disturbing imagery in there sure but it's not a very violent film definitely it's more just... psychological yeah it's very yeah. psychological and even um insomnia like sure there's action in it i wouldn't say there's violence in it really um it is just this whole portrait like i remember someone saying because holly's kind of alluded to this as well the idea of um is it better to get a comic actor to do a dramatic role or vice versa 
I remember on a podcast someone saying, um, with a comic, you know, with a dramatic actor, they've got to then try and be funny. And it's very hard to try and be funny. You just have to be funny or you're not. Whereas with a comedy actor, you just slap them and tell them to stop dicking about for five seconds and they get very sad and depressed. And therefore they can give you the dramatic pathos. Yeah. Um, and go, like, I think I've mentioned it as well before. I think there's been a lot of like high profile celebrity deaths. This was the only one that genuinely bummed me out. This was the only one where I was like, nah, I can't hack this. I can't be dealing with this. That's not okay. I'm I'm like proper five stages of grief stuff with Robin Williams. And that, that I've not had that with anyone else. Yeah. Uh right, my number one hasn't appeared on anyone else's list. Um is <laughs> is Jake Juno. Strong shout. Um now, it depends on what films you've seen him in, right? So, bearing in mind that now you're at a point where you can see him as young as he was in things like Buddy Bubble Boy um, and then into Donnie Darko, right? But then Nightcrawler, him in Nightcrawler is just intense and insane. Mm. But then him in Prisoners, one of my favourite supporting actor performances ever, him in Prisoners, Zodiac where you see his character mm. age as well. So you're seeing sort of him playing the younger part and then playing the older part as well. Southpaw, like absolutely bulking up in a boxing film. Uh, the Denis Villeneuve film Enemy, where he plays against himself. It's about a guy who finds a doppelganger. So he's playing two versions of himself. Brokeback Mountain, Source Code, The Guilty, where he's on his own pretty much for the majority of it. Even Mysterio in Far From Home, like it's mm. still a good performance. Um, Ambulance, the Michael Bay film, he absolutely goes balls to the wall in that, and he has a little bit of a manic thingy. Day after tomorrow, mm. you know, Everest. I just think his catalog Everest, Everest is, is really underrated. Yeah, it's superb. Um, and again, if he was to release something tomorrow, I would then go and see him doing it. So straight even Jonah, Prince of Persia, like he is miscast because he's demonstrably white and he's yes. playing man he's playing the prince of persia yeah but in a time where that was seen as for some reason acceptable yeah he's great there's this kind of swashbuckling hero he's yeah. very likable yeah uh so yeah so there's my number one that's all our tens done um we'll we'll, we'll talk in a minute about what, I'm, what we're gonna Robin do williams is the winner so oh yeah He's the uh, winner. He's, 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 he's the, the only crossover we had. Well, he's this, the winner. Well, yeah, he is. Well, Dev Patel. No, Dev Patel was a crossover yeah. as well. Right, but we had more crossover. All right, I think Robin Williams is is a, a deserving top one. Um, I definitely agree when you say about the things like, like the range um, between him and uh, and Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks through his career has had that range. Yeah. But Robin Williams in a film, singly in a film, in Mrs. Doubtfire, zany to the heartbreak in the same film. Absolutely. Um, mm. Yeah, he's absolutely deserving of a, of a top spot there. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, right. So thank you very much for uh, watching on YouTube. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Uh, we will be back soon with our top 10 critical darlings. And what we mean by that is basically the films that everyone else loves. They got Oscars and all that rubbish, but we don't like them. Um, and I guarantee you, because I've obviously seen my list and I've also seen Holly's list, there are going to be arguments. There's going to be um, fights. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, stay safe, look after each other, and we'll see you next time.